Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in an overcast and empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Helen Gordon, Chief Executive of the Science Council, a nonprofit who promote the understanding of the role of scientists in the United Kingdom. Helen, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for coming on the program. Um, Before we get into our chosen topic of leadership, uh, I'd be remiss if uh, I didn't address uh, COVID-19. How has it affected your operations? Of course, this has been the most extraordinary time of change. And for all not-for-profits and for professional bodies, of course, it's meant a lot of upheaval. Um, as we've moved our services quickly to more of an online provision to support our organisations who are members and also individuals who are registrants. However, I'm always struck by how resilient people are and how quickly they've adapted to this um, you know, more online, remote, team-working um, uh, situation and have been so committed to keeping services going. It, it's really um, brought people together in a different way. But, of course, there have been challenges in the rescheduling of events and um, activities. But we're doing um, quite well at the Science Council at the moment, but very mindful there's a lot of pressure for everyone across uh, our professional body uh, network. Do you see this as a, uh, a watershed moment and a change of how people work? It could be. We've been pondering this. In the, um, on the one hand, uh, we're moving more to mobile working, virtual teams. Uh, anyway, we have a very, very wide network of volunteers that help with us with our work alongside a small but perfectly formed team of 10. Um, so on the one hand, we've been quite used to um, working quite flexibly. But there's no doubt as you move to doing it all the time, different measures need to be put in place and different leadership to keep that team together. Absolutely. But I'm sensing that in some um, aspects of our work, we move, may move, we may choose to do more of our work online as a result, but it's also made us feel very strongly um, attached to the uh, pieces of work that are so valuable face-to-face. Um, so it's made us think very carefully about what we want to preserve. But I, I do anticipate this as being a watershed moment, actually. It is a very interesting time, of course, for everyone. Um, We probably should move on to our uh, allocated subject, of course, which is leadership. Um, I always like to start this conversation off with a very simple question that sometimes has a rather complex answer. What does the word leader mean to you? Leadership holds such responsibility. Um, To be a leader in today's world... um, requires an ability to engage with people so that it will help craft and then work with you on objectives that you um, agree together. And to do that requires vision. It requires interpersonal skills that are highly engaging, particularly in this much more virtual world. And I think that leadership today needs to be absolutely underscored with um, integrity and authenticity, mm. and an, you know an ability to really engage with people um, that then complements of the management functions. We also need to make sure our organisations are managed very well. 
I'm um, also, in terms of the phrase leadership, I'm very keen to foster leadership across our organisation. So leadership can come from anywhere in the organisation, somebody who wants to uh, make change and are restless for change and are good at engaging people towards that ambition together. So leadership for me is a lot about how you engage with and motivate people towards change. And how do you motivate your people? I think that a compelling vision, a reason for being um, engaged with the organisation is really key. Um, that's why I love the sector I work in so much, having built um, you know, a time on my NHS career as well. You know, being able to serve society and um, for us at the Science Council to support organisations that um, represent and support individual scientists to be able to say what good looks like in that respect for the public good is a great motivator. Mm. And so our staff, my team, are really committed to that vision and being able to see a difference um, in the daily lives of the scientists that we support to help them with job prospects, to help them with their continuing professional development, to advocate for what they do, particularly at a time uh, where we have coronavirus as well. Has been a very good example where you know we have a very important role to play, and this motivates people. In terms of then doing that as a leader, you know, keeping that vision is very important, and then having the golden thread from that vision that actually filters into all of the um, kind of work we do through sets of values that are actually really meaningful, and then of course work um, threads that make sense for people in terms of their uh, responsibilities is very important. So I think we have an a crucial role as leaders in making sense of that overall picture that then adds to motivation. And I think, you know, another very key part of this is giving development opportunity for um, each and every one of our team members and also our volunteers as well. That's highly motivational. People can see that they're being developed and invested in and that they have an authentic leadership um, and that we are all absolutely um, determined to make a difference. That fires my team up. I've seen that. Mm. Now, of course, uh, we are speaking at an interesting time, and you have a, a rather relevant background. Uh, you were uh, formerly chief executive of the Royal Society of Medicine. Uh, yeah. So, of course, uh, I'm sure that colors the way that you view our current situation and how leadership is being applied to it. What is your current assessment uh, of how leadership's been shown uh, during the current pandemic? Oh, gosh, where to start? Um, I think the first thing I'd um, say is that I'm um, not surprised by this, but I'm always completely astounded by the amazing leadership at the front line um, in the NHS by our doctors, nurses, pharmacists, scientists, and everyone who's playing their part to uh, rally round um, resources to with a very, very high um, workload in a very pressurised situation. Um, so the leadership shown by clinical leaders, the clinicians making decisions about patient care really, um, is, is a, an immense credit to the NHS and also associated health and scientific services as well because it really comes together in a, a very important network. Um, I, I've been pretty impressed with um, you know clear messaging from 
the chief medical officer and government, actually, I have to say, it helps when there's sort of just a smaller number of uh, leaders, particularly relying on scientific clinical advice for the public. Um, I'm not an expert in that area at all, but it's actually, it does resonate with me. But of course, we'll be open to uh, critique because people are really worried. But I think that certainly my experience of working with um, clinicians and uh, supporting um, healthcare in the NHS and in the Royal College circuit, I am very confident that we have many, many leaders throughout the NHS um, who are absolutely the right people for shaping mm. care right now. And we're seeing that um, every hour of these days. Now, of course, uh, leadership uh, in everyone's context comes from a background. Um, and let's get a bit into yours. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out uh, your working life. Uh, were there any particular role models who really shaped the way that you lead today? Yeah, actually, that's very true. I get this asked um, quite a lot. Um, there have, I've been very, very fortunate of working with um, a number of um, leaders throughout my career who really inspired me. For instance, when I was nursing, um, I remember a particular ward sister who um, really um, worked in a, an engaging, developmental, but very clear style, under pressure or not. She was always available to guide and to answer questions and took a real interest in personal development and performance in a, in a creative way. And her style really did affect me. In fact, I went back then to work on her board as a staff nurse. I chose to work with her because I learned so much. And her style has stayed with me. I recall also a particular chief executive at um, a, 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 sorry, a West London hospital that I worked at, who again had a, a fantastic approach to wanting to teach and learn, help people learn um, on a daily basis. And his way of engaging with clinicians and porters and volunteers alike was a real credit to him. But also you could see in daily activity how this really made things happen. Of course, people were energized and committed to change. And so these kind of high engagement strategies, a desire to really understand the nature of the business at the front line in healthcare, particularly and in education more latterly, um, really have affected my style of leadership. It's unsurprising that I'm very interested in personal development, in um, emotional intelligence, um, and being really um, interested in authenticity in, in my leadership style because I've seen that at work in a number of ways throughout my career. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Science Council? Well, we continue to um, build on a strong strategy of being able to provide registration and the recognition for scientists who want to be um, recognised for their interdisciplinary contrib contribution to science and also to work um, on the development of the network of the 35 different science organisations that are members of ours, because with that network, we should be able to uh, provide more influence um, on professional science workforce issues mm. for national leaders. And we hope that in the next 12 months, the Science Council's 
uh, profile in that regard will continue to grow. Well, Helen, it's been an absolute pleasure having a conversation with you today, and I very much hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future when things are a bit more calm. Uh, Helen, thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was Helen Gordon, Chief Executive of the Science Council. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in Sir Ralph Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence 
uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to involved in my career in those early days were two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, it may be overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organization, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that, that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that 
it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into him because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, well, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had we were very I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals um, we had some great players but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know over the years and Jeff I've got to ask and I'm, I'm not making this up I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, 
I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with, but it won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, 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 a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current player, as you mean. 
Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category 
that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely... Uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.